and welcome to part two of the little series Diego and I did together about uh, how commercialism and globalization are impacting soccer club identities. Uh, Part one was focused on Spain, so go make sure you listen to that. This one will be focused on Argentina um, and just some general follow-up questions about trends and and where things are going and things like that. Uh, So I hope you enjoy this part two. I hope you've been enjoying the live soccer we've had. Uh, with the Bundesliga, um, today we had a little bit of a treat with Borussia Dortmund winning 6-1 away from home against uh, Paderborn. Um, and soon we're going to have some La Liga and some Serie A and some uh, English Premier League and all that. So uh, podcast to come about all those different leagues and their startups and how that's going. Uh, but for now, enjoy part two of the series with Diego. <laughs> Let's transition over to Argentina. Um, Specifically, I guess we can start with Boca and River since they're the two most global clubs, I would say, in Argentina. So what are their kind of identities and and stories? Right. Um, So River was founded in 1901, Boca in 1905. But they both have origins in La Boca, which is basically a working class uh, Dockland area of Buenos Aires. But 12 years later... Uh, River actually moved to Nunez, which is a wealthy area in the north of the city. Um, so this really started this divide where River was known as the club of the elite in Buenos Aires, and Boca was more the working people, working class club. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this is can be seen by their ultra fans. So the in Argentina they call them hinchadas. So Rivers Hinchada has called Los Millonarios, which is the millionaires, so that you can tell they're the elite. <laughs> right. And um, Boca Hinchada is called La Doce, which means the, the, the 12th, so the 12th player on the field. So they feel like they're one of the players. They feel like they're all working class. They're all in the same um, boat together, uh, the players and the fans. So this is how it started, and this is how it used to be. But today, these two clubs are so successful that Boca is not... I mean, even though similar to Spain, they still represent this narrative of rich versus poor, Boca is not poor. Boca is the most popular and richest club in South America. Uh, so, the demo, and the demographics of their fan base, I mean, even though I mean, there's still working class people who support Boca, there's also a lot of celebrities who support Boca, there's a lot of not working class people who support Boca. So, again, with success... And with money, these identities have been not completely gone, but more diluted. And Boca and River are more similar, a lot more similar today than they were at their origins or a few decades after they started. Yeah, I mean, Boca has players like Carlos Tevez playing for them now, and you definitely need money to to get that on your team. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you said the clubs were started in, in the early 1900s, right? So... That'd be like over a hundred years. I mean, I'm sure your identity is bound to change over that period of time, um, no matter how much you try to stick to the narrative. Exactly. Yeah, they're, they're original, the original clubs, and that's why identities are so difficult to maintain, and they change with success. Mm-hmm. And so, what about beyond the capital? Um, how have any other clubs in Argentina 
experience maybe similar stories in terms of uh, being impacted by commercialism and globalization, or maybe not similar at all because they're just not as big as, as River and Boca. Right. So another example I looked at was uh, Rosario Central versus New Newest Old Boys. Uh, this is called the Clásico Rosalino. So these are two teams from the city of, 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 of Rosario. And they're both good, no, well-known teams in Argentina, but they're outside of what's considered the big five teams. So they're not teams that are very well-known globally. They might be... Some people might have... Soccer fans might have heard of these teams because I know Maradona played there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not teams that are known or followed by people outside of Argentina for the most part. So Newell's... Newell's fans were basically known as the ra- as radical right wing. They were of aristocratic origins, while Rosario Central is more left wing and has always promoted itself as the people's club. Much like Boca and River, both both um, teams came from the same neighborhood called Arroyito, and then Newell's moved towards the wealth the wealthier city center um, in its early years, making them again the wealthier club. So mm-hmm. it's a it's it's a it's a similar narrative, where these teams initially stood for these values and these these things, but today, with their success and with everything that's gone on, and with the years, um, this class and political view divide has kind of merged. It it doesn't really exist anymore, um, and that, and I think this happens a lot as. You know, parents pass the club up to the children. Children could have different values than the parents did. Um, so just over the years, this has changed. There's really no divide between the fans of these two clubs. Um, demographically or ideally, um, they're basically the same. Okay, so even though they perhaps are um, pertaining to a smaller market, like you explained, you still think that they've, been heavily impacted and that their identity has has shifted a lot as well yes their identity has shifted a lot um is that still linked to globalization in a way or is that just erosion over time i think it's a little bit of both um and not necessarily globalization because i would say globalization globally like outside maybe to europe and stuff um that doesn't affect them that much but globalization within Argentina, globalization within South America, where they're, they are known and people from different kind of backgrounds support them. Mm-hmm. I think a little bit is due to that. But I do also think a little bit is just due to how the demographics of Rosario, of that area, has changed over time. Right. right. I'll say a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that makes that makes sense to me. Um, so... Based on what you're saying, it doesn't sound like to me there were that many differences in terms of what you found in in Spain and Argentina. But but do you do you think there were any any key differences? No, so I think that's the big takeaway. I think the big takeaway from my research was that my original question or my original comparison of Europe against South America, I don't say it was wrong, but it wasn't the right thing to look at. Because there there aren't differences. Like of course, Real Madrid, Barcelona, as I've mentioned, have been more uh, have strayed farther away from the identities than River and Boca, because they are bigger clubs. They are more commercialized. 
they are more, you know, they're bigger brands all globally, all around the world. But they've changed in much the same way than River and Boca, just in a smaller extent. The biggest difference is between Real Madrid and Barcelona and then Rayo Vallecano. So I think the thing to look at, the, 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 the real takeaway is how success leads or has, for the most part, led to changing identity. So bigger clubs against smaller clubs, clubs that have been historically successful against clubs that do have really struggled with results, who have really, those clubs usually keep their identities. So I think that is the big takeaway from this. So I guess what, what comes first, though? Does success come first and then a change in identity, or is it first kind of commercialism, gaining more money, turning it into a business, and becoming successful thanks to that? Right. So I think it depends. Um, it, that's a case-by-case thing. I, I think it's, you know, kind of the chicken or the egg. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, a, a team can become successful with identity, and then from that, to retain that success, they have to spend money, and then, you know, they get more fans and all this, and it's just an ongoing cycle. Or the other way around, the team is just not successful, so they ditch their identity, pay a lot of money to get players to become successful, and then, again, it's a cycle. Um, mm-hmm. So it's hard to tell, and that's why some projects like what Borussia Dortmund has done is are very interesting and really amazing that they've they, of course they're more of a global club at this point you know because they're big but they've still kept their identity of being a more working class club compared to Bayern's more aristocratic rich club mm-hmm. and they have this system where they you know, buy players cheap, develop them, and then be, make them superstars, and then sell them for for real, for a lot of money, really expensive uh, price tags. And somehow, by somehow they do this, and they still compete with Bayern at the top of the Bundesliga. Like this is incredible, uh, and you don't see that very often. So shout out to them. So you would say they're a pretty good example of trying to stay true to identity and, but still competing on on the I guess the business by making money and selling players and the and the competitive front in terms of uh, being at the top of the Bundesliga with Bayern. Right, to a certain extent. I mean, of course, identity is not intact and it's not exactly the same as it was, but right. you, know, they have, you, you have to give something up. So it ha- I think it's a good example of a good middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though they do compete with Bayern, I mean, Bayern usually wins it. Like they, you know, so right. the real question is how do Borussia Dortmund take Take or a team like Borussia takes that next step to really be a title candidate or really win a title every every other year without ditching their identity. And I, I mean, I really don't know the answer to it. I think this is a very important question, a question that a lot of middle or smaller clubs need to try to figure out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we might uh, see what happens on Tuesday. There's uh, Bayern against Dortmund uh, in just a couple of days, so. Right, right. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, what about, like, more generally speaking? Like, do you think kind of the results from your paper can be applied to the to the EPL, for example, and take a team such as Tottenham that really pride themselves on, on having that kind of Jewish identity? Do you think they're impacted in the same way that we've talked about today? So in general, I would say yes. The Premier League is a difficult example because it's by many considered the best league in the world and it has a lot of global teams. You know, it has at least five five to 
eight teams that are really known around the world. Mm-hmm. So it's it's difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult to keep identities there and to keep you know same homogenized fan base. But yes, I think generally speaking, it definitely applies. Um, if a team like, ta- like for for example, like the whole thing that's happening with Newcastle. I mean, I don't know what's actually going to happen with Newcastle. Yeah. But they are completely. Well, if this whole thing goes through, they're completely losing their identity and just spending millions of dollars, you know, and they're not being a, you know, a local team from the north uh, who supports the world-class people. They're just being a royalty Saudi Arabian team. Um, So it definitely applies to Premier League as well. But the Premier League is a difficult example just because of the popularity of the league and the worldwide following. Like, the Premier League is huge in, in China, in Africa, in all these different, you know, continents. Yeah, um, but I do think it applies to many leagues. For example, the Bundesliga, as we mentioned before, probably the Serbia, um, and yeah, many leagues around the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would uh, tend to agree. I mean, what you were saying with Newcastle, I was just uh, thinking about PSG and how their identity kind of shifted. Um, but also in a way, like what happened with PSG and when they were bought, it kind of shifted other clubs' identities in France, like like the Lyons and the Marseilles kind of became Borussia Dortmund in a way. Like they kind of became teams that could point to another team that was just spending money and saying they're not authentic, we're the authentic team, even though they they had been spending money in the first place. Right. And I think a good question this brings up is, is, is changing your identity bad? Mm-hmm. Like, is this a bad, like, like where's the balance? Like, like, yeah, change your identity, for example, if, you know, um, you go from being a class for uh, a club for the working people, charging cheap ticket prices, you know, so everyone can attend your games, whatever. And then, you know, commercialism comes in, all the other teams are spending more money and raising ticket prices, um, which gives them more revenue, can buy better players, so the teams improve. What do you, do you have a decision to make there? What do you do as a, as a humble working class club? Do you stick to your values and keep your low ticket prices to, you know, to support your fans? Or do you raise ticket prices to make more revenue and stay competitive with all these other clubs, but you risk losing or kind of marginalizing a portion of your fan base who can't really afford these tickets anymore, who, you know, who are working class people who you supported their values and support what they believe in. And now you completely just kind of ditched them or went, went against them. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a balance there. Like, like what is losing your identity to be successful a bad thing, or is it not? Like, I think that's the thing for each club to answer, and depends on what each club believes. It's success against keep your identity, and if you can do both, then good for you. So say Puma in Mexico, your team, has the chance of being bought by some billionaire somewhere and then automatically become more successful and start winning championships. Would you like that or not? Probably not, to be completely honest. Okay. Probably not. Why? And, I mean, it's hard because championships would, of course, make me happy. But in the long term, what I love about Pumas is that it is a club for the working people. It's always been a club that with less resources and just using the resources smartly have had a lot of success in Mexico, and that makes it almost sweeter. If you win a title without just blowing millions of dollars with just kind of spending smart rather than spending big, it makes it sweeter. But that's part of the identity of my club. Mm-hmm. There's our arch rivals, America, 
who are owned by the biggest TV provider in Mexico, and they're all about spending money. And yeah, they, especially recently, win more than we do, but that's okay. Like, I'd rather win less, but our style, than win more just blowing money. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm... That's for everyone to decide. It's for every individual team to decide. There's no, you know, there's no answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to generally agree with you. Um, I don't think I would like it if uh, my team all of a sudden uh, became like like PSG and just started dominating because of money. I'd rather it does make it more special. I think uh, when we do well, that uh, I'll just my team is Olympique de Marseille. I think I've said that on this podcast before, but I think it just like a couple years ago when we made it to the Europa League final, man, that was so special because. We did not have the cash or the talent or anything to be in that spot. And ultimately, it was proven in the final when we lost 3-0 to Atletico. But <laughs> but the journey of making it to the final, man, that was that was special and something I'll, I'll never forget. And I feel like that goes for granted in some bigger clubs, like where the money is spent constantly. It almost becomes expectation to win trophies. And then I don't feel like you feel the same euphoria when your team does well so i'm inclined to agree right right you're 100 correct Mm -hmm. all right well i think that uh wraps everything up uh in terms of uh our conversation about commercialism and globalization and how it's impacting the game do you have anything else to add diego i think that's it edward thank you so much for having me thank you very much thanks for coming on to the podcast I hope everybody enjoyed part two of this little series. Um, that was the final part for this specific topic. Of course, we'll have Diego back on the podcast to talk about a variety of subjects down the road. Um, you can uh, follow the social media. That is the Twitter, the Instagram, all that. Links in the description. Um, comment with what you would like to happen to your favorite club, maybe, or how commercialism and globalization have impacted your team. Uh, But that's pretty much going to do it for today. I hope you have an excellent rest of your weekend and come back on Wednesday for a new episode. That's it for me. Mm -hmm.